0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Before we start, I'm going to offer us a prayer of confession. And then after that, you guys will have an opportunity to also uh, offer your own uh, prayers of confession. So bow your heads as you pray with me, please. Jesus, uh, we come to you this morning as sinners, as people who haven't loved you the way we're supposed to. We have disobeyed in words, through our actions, through the things that we've thought about. So we come here this morning asking for your forgiveness, Lord. We confess our sins to you because we have no one else confess them to you. And so we humbly ask, Lord, that you will please forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Clean our hearts. May the bones that have been broken in us renew them, Lord. Give us a right spirit within us, and do not take your Holy Spirit from us, but restore unto us the joy of your salvation, so that we can tell others of your faithfulness and your loving kindness. Thank you for this we ask in Jesus' name. So please take a minute or so to also offer your own uh, prayer of confession. Jesus, thank you because you said in your word if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So thank you for the forgiveness of sin that you offer us this morning. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will be amongst us. Pray that whatever heavy load that we're carrying this morning that we can just put it down and take your yoke which is easy and light. May we enjoy fellowshipping with you and with each other, Lord. I also want to lift up uh, uh, what today signifies for most of us. I want to lift up uh, families of thousands, Lord, who loved uh, loved ones on that dreadful day. I pray that you continue to console them. I want to pray for those that are still affected by the two bombings on 9-11, Jesus. I pray that you will minister to them in special areas in their life that they need to be touched. Jesus, I want to lift up our nation. Lead us to you, Lord. May we seek you in all that we do. We pray for our leaders, Lord. Give them discernment and wisdom that where they lead us astray, Lord, that you will just mend your heart and give them a heart of flesh so that they can lead us in a way that you would we lift up evil people around the world who just seek to do harm Jesus as Christian you call us to pray for those people you said we should love those who persecute us and that's not an easy prayer to do but you called us to and so we lift up those people Lord we pray for them Give them a heart of flesh and help them to realize the evil that they're doing in this world. As we uh, open your word this morning, uh, just speak through me, Lord. May your Holy Spirit explain to us what you have for us and be with us through the rest of our service and accept our worship. Thank you for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter, flawed and faithful. I'm going to be continuing our new series uh, this morning. Our, Our intro for this series so far has been this Peter loves Jesus, but keeps making big life mistakes. Does that story sound familiar? Peter is one of the most prominent characters in the New Testament. Is one of the first people to follow Jesus and one of the first people to understand Jesus' true identity as the Son of God, but he is also deeply flawed. Peter hurts Jesus more often than he helps, but Jesus never stops loving him and leading him. In this sermon series, you will learn how a strong and beautiful faith ...can come from deeply flawed individuals who faithfully follow Jesus. And I think this is encouraging for us. You know, anytime I read about Peter in the Bible, I'm like, that's me. Because he is the disciple that I strongly relate to. Everything he does, I probably have done those things. And so, I have a sympathetic place for my homeboy, Peter. And he's going to get a bad rap from this sermon... And so, put yourself in his position in this sermon, and what would you do? But uh, before I get into our scripture, it's amazing how, you know, when, how God speaks to us sometimes. When you read scripture, right? Like somebody in Nigeria will read this scripture different from the way somebody in the U.S. would. And as I was prepping for my sermon, I kept thinking of my recent experiences in Nigeria. And I want to look at the scripture from that lens to help me understand why Peter reacted the way he did and why I would have reacted uh, the way he did. And so earlier, uh, this, well, the beginning of this year, probably around March, April, uh, I had an uncle who passed away. Uh, He was in his 40s. We had no idea what happened to him. He was in the hospital and we thought it was malaria. He was getting better and then all of a sudden he passed away. And then a week later, his wife also passed away. And on that same day, one of my uncles also passed away from a heart attack. And so it was really a hard time for my family and especially uh, for me who was far away. It was really hard uh, for me to be here while my family was going through uh, such a rough time. And so I decided that I will go home. So I haven't gone home in the last nine years because every time I uh, brought up the conversation, my mom will say, it's not safe. Please don't go home. Stay here. But because of uh, the death, I decided this will be the year that... Uh, I would go home. But what I did was I didn't tell any of them because if I told my mom, she would discourage me uh, from coming home. And so I only told my older sister because she was arranging my ride, and that was the only reason I told her. And so I haven't seen my family in nine years, and this was my mom's reaction uh, when I knocked on the door and just showed up. And so uh, there's no... (laughs) Begana, to chana me my quotes ugly boxes something yeah. Oh, a reunion. <laughs> oh. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what an expensive. What <laughs> 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 about with the atelier? Wendy, my young Wendy, my uncle, 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 Bussolo bugofa, don't telego dammo. Asci adesso, andiamo a portare in giro. Siamo già a tutti. Dove? Ha! 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 I don't capture this moment, (gasps) Kai. (gasps) No, (gasps) no, no. Nobody wanted to travel on that road. If you travel on that road, you're basically signing your death certificate because there was so much kidnappings and just killings uh, that uh, have been going on on that road. And so I took the long route with my sister the road that was supposed to be safer but even as we were driving on the road that was supposed to be safer we got to a point and she pointed a place and said this is where I almost got kidnapped and killed see living here I hear about all these things that have been going on back home but then to hear that my sister has experienced it and then to see where her life was almost ended, was shocking and sad. And so reality just started kicking in for me. And so what had happened was uh, she left uh, home late at night and she wanted to travel uh, to go visit my mom in Kaduna. But she left uh, home around 6 p.m. Back home, you don't travel when it's late, when it's, you know you probably want to get to your destination maybe around five, but if you decide to start traveling after that, you're really putting yourself in danger. And so she left uh, Abuja at six, which she shouldn't have done, but she just found out she was pregnant and she couldn't wait to go tell my mom the amazing news because she's been waiting for so long uh, to be blessed uh, with a child and finally God answered. And she said, like, I need to go home and tell my mom And so there were two buses ahead of them. And so in the bus that she was in, the driver in her bus saw the two buses ahead of them backing away because they saw something. And so those two buses were backing away, and then they were waving to the bus she was in to stop. But the driver, I don't know what was in his head, but he just kept driving, right? And then when he reached to the point where there was a roadblock, he couldn't go anywhere and there were, uh, you know, criminals or bandits from the bush who rushed to the car with their knives and machetes and they just started banging on the car and started hitting on the glass. And, but the, at this point they were focused on the driver and the passenger in the front. And so luckily for my sister who was sitting in the back, the lady sitting next to her just opened the door and she ran into the bush and my sister just followed her. And, and at this point, it was probably about 9 p.m. at night. It was dark. They had no idea where they were going. And then the bandits started following them into the bush. But as they were running, they fell into a ditch. And so the bandits went back probably to get some uh, flashlight uh, to look for them. But thankfully, it wasn't the end for my sister. Thankfully, the two cars who saw what was happening and backed away, they were able to call the police. And the police back home, they're so useless, they're not good for anything. And so it was a miracle that it was meant to be that these police officers were on the road. At that time, they were called because they were going to the state where my sister was going to spend the night because there was going to be an election that morning. And so thankfully they were close by and so they came where everything was happening. They chased the bandits away. But my sister at this point, she had no idea what was going on. And so as she was in the ditch, stuck, she saw uh, some flashlights. And because she had no idea what was going on, she just prayed her last. Because if the bandits caught her because she ran away, they would just kill her. That's what they did. But thankfully, the flashlight was of a police officer. And man, did she praise God. And it wasn't meant to be her last day. And so I kept hearing stories all over like that. Like even my mom, she was so happy to see me. But at the same time, she was so worried about me because of the kidnappings that was going on. Usually, they targeted uh, people like foreigners, for example. Or if you had uh, money, they would come after you right? And since I was coming from America, if people knew that I was back home, I was basically putting myself uh, in danger. And so I couldn't even tell my friends I was coming home. Only my family knew, and that's how we kept it. But I kept hearing stories from friends, close friends, and family members who have experienced this. And what, what has been happening for the last seven years is that we have a a tribe. uh, They're called the Fulani uh, tribe. And usually they are, you know, cattle and goat herders. And so the president is a Fulani. When he became president, they wanted special treatment. And they asked for these ridiculous things. And because they didn't get it, they started kidnapping and killing people for no reason. And they started going after high-profile people who they kidnapped for ransom, and they used the ransom money to buy weapons. And so they became very powerful that the government cannot take care of them. They were too powerful. And so people lived every day with fear. It's like you wake up in the morning, and then you hear that your neighbors have been kidnapped or killed. That was the reality of what I was going back into. And so even though my family were excited to see me, I couldn't even stay in Kaduna for too long, where I was from. I only stayed there for about two days, and I had to go back to the capital city. But even going back to the capital city, I decided not to do the long drive because the roads were so bad, and my sister was pregnant and, you know, didn't want to bother her with uh, a bad road. And so we chanced it, and so we took the route that was dangerous. And I just remember driving on that road... And praying, if this is it, God may or will be done. But at the same time, it's like, I'm so glad I get to experience this with my family. Because this is what they go through every day. And I live here and I have no, I mean, we, we are blessed. That's what I learned. We have our own problems here, but it does not compare to what most Nigerians are going, uh, uh, experiencing back home. We are blessed. And so, thankfully, nothing happened. But two days after I took that road, 50 soldiers were killed by bandits, and they raided a village and kidnapped more than 200 people. And I was thinking, why didn't it happen on the day that I was driving on that road? What's special about me? Nothing. But that is the reality that most Nigerians get to face. And so you have the insecurity where people are dying every day by thousands. I saw so many offerings on the streets because their parents have been killed. They have no way to go. And so churches are opening up their church and inviting these kids and providing food. But at the same time, the economy is so bad that If you're a middle class or lower class, you're barely making it. I remember all the money I took, I was just giving it away. But the need was so much that I couldn't even meet a little bit of it. just because of how hungry and desperate people are. And I kept thinking the two words that probably describe what was going on was hopelessness and despair. But while all of this was going on, the only bright side of all of this is that there's an election coming up, and for the first time there is a presidential candidate that the whole country is excited about, both Muslim and Christians, and I know how the politics uh, work back home, and so it's like, yeah, but my family, they're like, you should check out this guy, and I... I'm starting to get excited about him, right? Because he is the change that people want. And I strongly believe that if he becomes president in February when the election is, that things will change for the better. And what people are asking for right now is just give us basic security. We want to be able to travel and sell goods. That's all we want. And so we have a candidate that people are excited about. And as I was reading this story, I was like, what if this guy decides, I'm not going to make it. I'm just going to give up my seat and let another corrupt president take over power and just run down the country another four or eight years. I was like, how would I feel if this candidate says this? And so that's how I was able to sympathize with Peter Because in our uh, passage this morning from Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 uh, to 28, we see Jesus saying something ridiculous to Peter, and Peter cannot comprehend it. Because Jesus is this Messiah who is supposed to be a savior for the people, just like this candidate is supposed to be almost like a savior to most Nigerians. But what if he says what Jesus says? How would I feel? I would definitely be offended. If he was close to me, I'd probably slap him and tell him he needs to get his head out of his, you know, uh, what I'm trying to say. And so that is why I'm able to sympathize with Peter. And so our scripture reading this morning is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 uh, to 28. And I'm just going to read it uh, real quick. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a tumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world? yet forfeits his soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done i tell you the truth some who are standing here will not taste that before they see the son of man coming in his glory And so at this point in the story, Jesus tells his disciple that he has to go, actually he uses the word must, go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the hands of the religious leaders, and basically be killed, but he will be raised on the third day. And so at this point in Jesus' ministry, something has changed, because Jesus Recently, I talked about, you know, his death. But he always said it indirectly. But this time he's saying it directly to them. It's like a shift in his ministry. Like he says it plainly. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. But Jesus used the word must. This things must happen to me. And The word must here is to show that this is not a human devotion, but rather a divine obligation. This has to happen because this was how it was designed even before the creation of this world. Four things make what Jesus is about to go experience a must. The first thing is our sins. For which the Messiah had to give his life as a penalty of our sins. That is why Jesus must go to Jerusalem and die because of our sins. The second reason he must go to Jerusalem and die is, for the divine, is because of the divine requirement that without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And then the third reason is the uh, divine decree of God's sovereign knowledge. And lastly was the prophetic promise that the Messiah must die. It's been prophesied in the Old Testament. It's going to happen. And so when Jesus says these things, he's saying this must happen because of these four reasons. And God's plan is not subject to change. You can believe it or reject it, but it will happen and it cannot be altered not by us or by anyone. And so these are the reasons that Jesus must go to Jerusalem, the city of sacrifices, to become the Passover lamb, to become our offering once and for all. These are the reasons why it was God planned that his son, the Messiah, will suffer many things from the elders and religious leaders because of their unbelief and rejection, as well as they had the political power to do so. Jesus will suffer many things in the hands of this evil man, not because he was guilty of anything, no. He was perfect, but because they hated him. He challenged their authority. He was the man of the people. Jesus was a different leader, and because of these things, they killed him for that. The four reasons that I talked about is also the reasons why it was in God's plan that Jesus must be killed and be sentenced to death for you and me. But he also said that on the third day, he will rise up again. Now, if Jesus was telling you these things about him, what would you remember the most? Would you remember the last part? No. No you remember the horrible things that he is talking about, those things that will happen to him. And so because Peter wasn't thinking about the last part, in verse 22, he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Do you see the contrast? Jesus says, this must happen because of these few reasons that I talk about. And here is Peter saying, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And with my power, I will make sure this doesn't happen. And the news that Jesus gave his disciples about his death in the hands of the religious leader must have been very shocking, disconcerting, and unnerving And if you put yourself in their shoes, you will have the same feeling. Because the disciples, like everyone Jesus met, expected that Jesus would be the Messiah to liberate them from the Jewish people. That is what Jesus was supposed to be. And here is Jesus talking about his death from the religious leaders. Jesus was the Messiah that they were all waiting for. The people and the disciples expected that Jesus' leadership and popularity would grow and that he would challenge the Roman rule. But what they were not expecting from Jesus was for Jesus to say that I'm going to go and die in the hands of these religious leaders. And I can sympathize with Peter for his rebuke. On Jesus. But at this point in the story, Peter followed a pattern that by now she'll be familiar with us from uh, uh, Daniel and Jake's sermon. Because just after taking a great step forward in faith, remember last week uh, from Jake's sermon, Peter was the one who said that you are the Messiah, the Christ. God used Peter to reveal Jesus' identity. And so he took a step in faith, but then in this week, he took a step backward because he couldn't process the idea of a suffering Messiah. And I am so Peter. That's me. Now, as so I was reading this, I cannot process it too. Because this is a matter of life and death. They've been under Roman rule for a long time. The Romans were brutal. They had to pay ridiculous taxes. And here comes Jesus, the man of the people, who was supposed to be a Messiah. And then Jesus saying, Oh, I'm going to go die on the cross. How ridiculous is that? Peter and the rest of the disciples were fixated on the words about Jesus' death that they couldn't hear about his resurrection. Because plainly Jesus said, I will die, but on the third day, I will rise up again. That they didn't hear. Yes, Jesus will suffer all these things, he told them, but on the third day, he will rise, defeating death and sin. And what was Jesus' response to Peter's rebuke? Jesus took Peter aside and began to rebuke him. No, sorry, uh, Peter's response to Jesus was to rebuke him. This shall never happen, he says. I forbid this, Lord. And if you're quick to criticize Peter for doing this, it's like in so many ways we are like Peter, right? Because when we go through trials and temptations, one of the things we say is, why me, Lord? Actually, one of my favorite songs is, Why me, Lord, what have I ever done to deserve? Sorry, it's an old uh, Western uh, song, so it's many young crowd. <laughs> <laughs> we say, why me, Lord, and so we share in Peter's presumption. It's easy for us to accept God's blessings, but not his testings. It's easy to accept prosperity and health as part of God's plan for us. If I'm a believer, good things should happen to me. And when they do happen, it's easy for us to accept distance, but not hardship or sickness. When joy comes to us, that seems to be the proper lot for us as children of God. But when sorrow comes, we are inclined to doubt our Heavenly Father's wisdom and love. We do this. And so, like Peter, we're guilty. And so Peter represents us all, the everyday disciple. And I suspect that there have been many times in our lives, in my lives, where our heart was in the right place, but we were not thinking God's thoughts. Instead, we were analyzing a situation from a logical perspective or from a selfish perspective, but spending little time. To see what God's plan is on any issue that we are analyzing. These are some of the reasons Peter rebuked Jesus. Like he had some kind of authority over Jesus, forbade what Jesus said will happen to him, and said this thing will never happen. Here, Peter is completely contradicting what Jesus had just declared must happen. But because he could not understand or accept the idea of a humiliated, abused, and crucified Messiah. Peter rejected God's plan for redemption. I repeat that again. He is rejecting God's plan for redemption. Even though it has to happen the way that Jesus said would happen. You know, as I was thinking of this, I thought about uh, one of my really good friends from college. After we graduated, he decided to go to Afghanistan to become a missionary, him and his wife. And when he told me that, I was thinking, are you crazy? Afghanistan? That's like one of the worst places an American Christian can go become a missionary in. Well, Brandon loves Jesus, and his mission in life is to tell everyone about Jesus. And he felt called to go there, and him and his wife went. And so while they were serving, a year later, uh, his wife got pregnant. And they shared the news with me, and I was so excited about, uh, for that. And I said, well, will you guys come back home? Does that mean you guys are done? Because you have a child now. The child didn't make the decision to go to Afghanistan. The child has so much life, and you guys have been in danger. Surely you must come home for the sake of your baby. But no, gave birth to their son in Afghanistan and they served. And they have four kids now. They were in Afghanistan for five years. Thankfully, two two weeks before the Taliban uh, took over, the missionary uh, uh, organization that they were with, they were able to take them out of uh, the country. But I, I rationalized with Brandon. Do it for your kids. From a logical perspective, it made sense, right? Put your kids first. Your safety matters. If you and your wife want to die, that's okay. But there's no reason to put your kids in so much danger in a country that is hostile to you as an American and a Christian. But Brandon loved Jesus too much. And he wouldn't live. Thankfully, nothing happened to him. He was able to leave before the Taliban uh, took over. And he was relocated to a country in Eastern Europe where he continued working with Afghan uh, refugees. And so I'm guilty like Peter because I've done this. And if it happens again, I'll probably do the same. I'll rationalize it from a human perspective. Because sometimes that is what we tend to do. What was Jesus' response to Peter in verse 23? Jesus' response to Peter was, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. It will be hard to imagine anything that will have shook Peter more than these words of Jesus. On the surface, Peter's intention not only seems honorable, but loving and compassionate. He did not want his lord and friend to die. He could not even bear the idea of Jesus suffering. Even Peter's most selfish motives are understandable because for several years him and the rest of the 12 disciples have become completely dependent on Jesus for everything, for food, tax, money, and virtually everything. And so Jesus's response to Peter was a stinging, devastating response. That must have shocked Peter to the core. I don't think Peter expected that response from Jesus. But before Peter had a chance to finish his objection, Jesus abruptly cut him off and accused him of being the mouthpiece of his adversary, Satan. Furthermore, Jesus' rebuke of Peter reminds us of the temptation story, especially the last temptation. You know that just before Jesus uh, began his ministry, and we did a a, a series on the temptation of Jesus too. You know, he was led into the wilderness where uh, Satan uh, challenged him with three uh, temptations. But the third temptation was uh, uh, this. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to Jesus, I'll give you all these things if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, because it is written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What was the devil up to in the wilderness? He offered Jesus success without suffering. A crown without a cross. And three years later, it was Jesus' own disciple, the man whom Jesus will build his church upon. He was the one encouraging Jesus now to pursue the crown without the cross. And so Peter is almost doing exactly what Satan did to Jesus in the wilderness. And that is why Jesus rebuked him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew that Satan had surely put the rebuke in Peter's mind. Because Satan managed to prompt Peter to oppose Christ just the way he tried to lure Jesus into disobeying God's will. Because Satan knows that the way of the cross was the way of his own defeat. And so he will do everything in his power to make sure that Jesus doesn't go on the cross. Satan knows that the cross is the place of men's deliverance From the dominion of sin and death which he has over us. And that is why he'll do everything in his power. To keep Jesus from the cross. But we know how the story ends. Satan is defeated. Because what Jesus said must happen, happened. He went on that cross and died for your sin and mine. And he defeated Satan. After this rebuke, Jesus teaches his disciples a lesson on discipleship. Jesus taught his disciples that if any of them wishes to come after him, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. This is the cost of discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Deny yourself take up your cross, and follow me. Because discipleship is on God's terms. The Lord here reminds His disciples that the principle of discipleship, one, is self-denial. A person who is not willing to deny himself cannot claim to be a disciple of Jesus. To deny means to completely disown, to utterly separate oneself from the old And we know that the old self is sinful and selfish and just wants to please the enemy. So what Jesus is basically saying is you have to separate yourself from the old so that you can follow me. And then Jesus says, take up your cross. To the people of Jesus' day, the cross was a very concrete and vivid reality. You know, when we talk about the cross today, you know, maybe... We say, oh, the vaccine is a cross that I have to bear. Or a failing marriage is a cross that I have to bear. Like we, we say things like that. But for people in Jesus' day, the cross was the instrument of execution reserved for Rome's worst enemies. It was a symbol of death and torture that awaited anyone who dared to challenge the power of Rome, And so when the disciples and the crowd heard Jesus speak about taking up the cross, there was nothing mystical to them about the idea. They immediately pictured a man condemned to death, walking along the road carrying the instrument of his execution on his back. A man who took up his cross began his death march carrying the very beam on which he would hung. And so when Jesus talks about you must carry your cross, he's basically saying you have to die for me. You must be willing to die to follow me. But obviously the extent of suffering and persecution varies from believer to believer. It varies from place to place and from time to time. Most of us here Christians, we do not face the same persecution that Christians in North Korea or even Nigeria or Saudi Arabia face. But that does not mean that we won't face them. In many ways as Christians, we face persecution, not to the extent of dying, but it's getting bad. And Jesus is saying, as my follower, you have to go through this. But not all of Jesus' disciples died. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you have to die, no. What Jesus is saying is, if death comes to you, would you be willing to die to be my disciple? And the answer as Christians is yes. But in reality, you have to answer that personally uh, for yourself. And the third requirement that Jesus talked about is to follow. Only after a person denies himself and takes up his cross can he follow Jesus. True discipleship is submission to the Lordship of Christ. In John chapter uh, 12, verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. And then from verse 25 to 26, Jesus continues by saying that if you save your life, you will lose it. I think this was a special uh, speech, especially for Peter. But if you lose your life for me, you will find it. Because what profit is it to gain the whole world but lose the soul? Or what will a man give in exchange to lose, to lose his soul? And this probably sounds uh, complex, but what Jesus is basically saying is that whoever lives on this earth to save his earthly physical life, his ease and comfort and acceptance by the world will lose his opportunity for internal life. If you want to live on this earth and be comfortable with the things of this life, you will lose internal life. But whoever is willing to give up his earthly, worldly life and to suffer and die, if necessary for Christ's sake, will find eternal life. And we all have a choice. We can go for it now on earth and enjoy the pleasures of this world and lose it forever. Or we can forsake it now and gain it forever. And then Jesus finally ends, verse 27 to 28, with a promise and warning concerning his second coming. Jesus tells his disciples that he will come back again. But this time he will come back differently. This time he will come back with his angels, with his glory, with all his splendor. And when he comes, he will reward all of us according to our deeds. This is important because it is not that deeds are the means of salvation. We know that grace through faith is what saves us. But a person's deeds is the evidence of his inward spiritual condition. I'm going to repeat that again. A person's deed is the evidence of his inward spiritual condition. People are best known by their fruits. And Jesus even said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Righteous deeds are not the source of salvation, but they are the objective verification that it has occurred. Jesus said, Not everyone who calls me Lord will be saved, but those who did the will of my Father. So as a believer, are your deeds righteous? Are they ungodly? What kind of fruit are you growing? The one who sees the heart and the one who judges when he comes for the second time will judge according to what you and me have done. And uh, Revelation chapter uh, 22 verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I come, I come quickly. And I will reward everyone according to what he has done. And so as a church, what fruit do we want to bear? As a Christian, what fruit do you want to bear? What harsh realities in life are you struggling to accept even though that's the way it is? And like Peter, we will struggle And my prayer for us this morning is that we won't be focused on our own logic or what makes sense to us. But that during difficult decisions that we will seek the Father because his will must be done. And whatever the Father's plan is, for us it's way better than anything we can think or imagine. And so pray with me as we close. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for our imperfections thank you for our weaknesses thank you for our sinful deeds because even though we were once slaves to sins we don't have to live in fear anymore because you have saved and rescued us from that and so we thank you we pray that may we seek you in all that we do we ask and pray that you will help us to become better disciples of you. Even knowing how harsh the cost is, Jesus, we know what you gave up for us. May we be willing to. And in moments of weaknesses, we, play, we pray for your Holy Spirit for strength to enable us to take up our cross and to follow you fully. Thank you for this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So every Sunday we take communion to remember that very cross that Jesus had to die on for your sins and my sins. And so as you take communion this morning, examine your heart. If you're not in right standing with God, pause, talk to God, pray. I'll have Jake on the side. If you need prayers for anything, he'll be happy to pray for you. If there's anything you're struggling with, even from this passage, Jake will be happy to pray for you. And so before he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with his disciples and he took bread and broke it and said, This is my body that will be broken for you when you eat this. Remember. In the same way, he took a cup of wine, blessed it and said, This is my blood that I will shed on the cross for your sins. When you drink this, remember what I did for you on the cross. And when we eat communion, that is what we remember, the body and the blood of Jesus.